Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 31 is my text today. Galatians 4, 21 through 31. Paul writes, Tell me, you who want to be under the law, don't you hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave and the other by a free woman. But the one by the slave was born according to the flesh, while the one by the free woman was born as the result of a promise. These things are illustrations or an allegory. For the women represent two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai and bears children into slavery, and this is Hagar. Now, now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren woman who does not give birth. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate are many, more numerous than those of the woman who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of the promise. But just as then the child born according to the flesh persecuted the one born according to the Spirit, so also now. But what does the Scripture say? Throw out the slave and her son. For the son of the slave will never inherit with the son of the free woman. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Yahweh bless His Word to our hearts today. Today is Yom Teruah. That is a Hebrew phrase. The English translation of that day is day of shouting or day of trumpet blasts or day of joyful noise, I like to say. You can make a joyful noise with a shout, a trumpet, a cymbal, a string instrument by clapping your hands. This day is called a memorial of joyful noise in Leviticus 23 verse 24. And a memorial is something that we do in order to remember something that has passed. The event that happened in the past in this context is the creation of the earth. That's why I asked Brother Dan to read Job 38 where Yahweh speaks to Job and says, where were you when I laid all this stuff out? When I fastened the bolts and I tightened the ropes? Where were you when the morning stars and the sons of Elohim, and that's Hebrew parallelism, morning stars is a reference to the angels and so is B'nai Elohim, or sons of Elohim, it's a reference to the angels. And they, they shouted, they applauded, they trumped Yahweh's handiwork. They were excited when they saw what Yahweh was doing because He had already created the angels. They were part of the heavens that Yahweh created prior to the earth. But I open with Galatians 4, 21-31. Not the text about Yom Teruah. And that's because today I'm going to teach on Galatians 4, 21-23. I'm not a minister who believes that every time the festivals roll around that I'm obligated to preach only about the festivals. We keep the festivals here to the best of our ability and we recognize and we remember great occurrences gone by, great occurrences in the past of the history of Yahweh's people. But the festivals are shadows, are shadows, present tense, of things to come. There's a greater reality above the festivals and that reality casts the shadow of the festivals. You don't ever have a shadow without a reality. And the greater reality here is what Yahweh has accomplished in and through the seed of Abraham, the one seed, the singular seed of Abraham, His Son and Messiah. 
And that's some of what I'm going to discuss today. I'm going to talk about the greater reality that casts the shadows. You would never even have the festivals. You would never have the appointed times if not for the promise of and the reality of the seed of Abraham, Yeshua the Messiah. Now in my last sermon in Galatians, I discussed the personal appeal of Apostle Paul in verses 12 through 20. Paul argues in detail all the way through chapter 3, and in most of chapter 4, he continues that argument, but he stopped in verse 12 to give a personal appeal to the Galatians. He let the Galatian Gentiles know that he loved them, and he didn't call them, O foolish Galatians, who have bewitched you like he did in chapter 3, verse 1, but he calls them my brothers and my children in that personal appeal. And he wanted them to know that he's just not presenting head knowledge but He's presenting the heart, love and compassion and gentleness and and kindness to the people. How many know that the Scriptures say that knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies? And whenever you can combine the two and have both knowledge and love, which I think that's what we should have, then you, you share wisdom and you do so in a loving way. And I think that's what Paul was doing when he wrote this letter. But he picks his argument back up in chapter 4, verse 21 by going back to an account, a historical reality, an account of a man named Abraham. Once named Avram, which means high father, but later his name was changed to Avraham, which means father of a multitude or father of many. He goes back to Abraham, not just in chapter 4, but he already went back to Abraham in chapter 3. If you'll remember with me, when Paul dealt with the promise, it was a unilateral covenant that Yahweh made with Abraham. Abraham was asleep when Yahweh made this covenant with Abraham. Unilateral means it's only based on the actions of one party and not two. Yahweh made the promise to Abraham and Yahweh, Paul says, preached the gospel to Abraham. The gospel in the Hebrew text is about seven words, but it translates it to English as this, in your seed all the families of the earth will be blessed. And we learn that that seed that Yahweh talked about, Zerah, was singular. It was talking about one man, one person, that was the Messiah. And therefore it's by faith in Christ, faith in the Messiah, that we become the children, the sons and the daughters of Father Abraham. So through this, the Scripture was foreseeing that the Almighty would justify the Gentiles. How? By faith. The same faith that Father Abraham exhibited in Genesis 15 when Yahweh made him a promise and he believed in Yahweh and it was what? Credited to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of the Most High. But it's not just the Gentiles that are justified by faith. It's also the Jews, the Judahites, the Israelites. Those who are born in the covenant and those who were born outside of the covenant, but later on in life decided to follow the mighty one of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all of them are justified by the same faith in the promise of Yahweh that Abraham exhibited back in Genesis 12 through 15. We're all made right with Yahweh on the basis of faith. You say, well, Brother Matthew, I believe that that faith leads to faithfulness. And that's true, both in Hebrew and in Greek. There's not really different words for faith and faithfulness. I believe anybody that has true, genuine faith, it will lead them to faithfulness. But you don't get faithfulness without first being given the gift of faith. 
And it is by that faith, that gift, that you are declared or made right and innocent with Almighty Yahweh. Those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. It is not those who have a lineage going back to Abraham who are blessed. Genealogy has nothing to do with justification or the forgiveness of sins. That's what justification is. That's a big word. Just think about forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins. That's Paul's main point in this epistle. Paul is not forsaking the law in this epistle. He's not even forsaking the ceremonial law in this epistle. He's simply teaching that the way that we are justified, the way that we are made right with the Almighty, is not on the basis of proselyte conversion for the Gentiles. It's not on the basis of performing a few outward works of the law and then the Judahites clapping and saying, you're in now because you were circumcised or because you put on tassels or because you started growing a beard. Now you're in. Now you're forgiven. Now you're saved. It's not on that basis. It's on the basis of faith in the seed of Abraham. So the influencers or the Judaizers as they're popularly called They had come into Galatia and they had attempted to undermine Paul's gospel that the nations, Paul said the nations or the Gentiles were forgiven by faith, but the influencers said, no, they're not. They're not forgiven by faith. They're not forgiven until they convert to become a Jew, until they proselytize to become an Israelite. That's how they're forgiven. And the primary way that a male Gentile would proselytize was through physical circumcision. Thus, circumcision was held up by the influencers as the entryway into the forgiveness of sins. The Messiah was placed over here to the side. You sit over here on the side. We're going to put circumcision at the forefront and say that until you're circumcised, you haven't been forgiven, you haven't been justified. So if you get circumcised, if you follow what we say, then you'll be forgiven. The influencers were not teaching circumcision as an act of obedience. Or as something that was done later on in life because a person genuinely had a love for Yahweh. They were teaching that circumcision was to be done in order to be forgiven or saved from one's sins. And that by performing this act, the Gentile ceased to be a heathen and changed his identity to be an Israelite. They taught salvation by the flesh, salvation by genealogy, rather than salvation by grace through faith in the seed of Abraham. Hebrews, anyone that was born into the covenant, believed they were in the covenant simply by virtue of being born. They were born to Hebrew parents. They were born to Jewish parents. So the way that a Gentile in their minds had to become saved was by converting from being a Gentile to being a Judahite. So salvation in their minds was based upon a work of the flesh rather than a work of the Spirit. Justification in their minds came by virtue of who you are or what you do rather than by trusting in the promise and work of Yahweh already done on your behalf. That's the Gospel. Galatians 3, 28-29 is the hub of the epistle. It's what everything else spins on. If I had to pick one verse to describe, or two verses, to describe the epistle, it would be chapter 3, verses 28-29. through Where Paul writes this, There is no Jew or Greek. Slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in the Messiah, Yeshua. And if you belong to the Messiah, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. In the Messiah, we're all equal when it comes to our salvation. A Jew is not valued above a Gentile. A male is not valued above a female. 
And a free man is not valued above a slave in Christ. You're all one. Paul uses the, the word one there meaning equality. You're all on the same level. You're all on the same playing field in Christ. While there are and always will be various roles that we take in the body of the Messiah, there is equality in value and in dignity. When a Greek or a Gentile, someone that was born to heathen parents, when they grow up and they decide that they want to covenant with the mighty one of Abraham, and they place faith in Abraham's seed, the Messiah, they come to faith and they're baptized into the Messiah. And remember, faith and baptism are two sides of the same coin. Paul never pits them against each other. Remember in Galatians 3, Paul says, uh, you're justified or your sons and daughters by faith for or because as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So never pit faith and baptism against each other. There was not such a thing as an unbaptized believer um, in the book of Acts. They would baptize people that believed in the Messiah the same day. One time they baptized some people the same night while it was still dark outside in Acts chapter 16. It was the, the jailer there. So, when a Greek or a Gentile places faith in the Messiah and is baptized into the Messiah, he does not then have to convert to the Hebrew faith through proselytization in order to be forgiven. He's already or she's already been forgiven by virtue of trusting in the promise that Yahweh made to Abraham thousands of years ago. That's, that's the point of the epistle. And so Paul picks up his argument in Galatians 4.21 and he asked the Galatian Gentiles, he says, tell me, verse 21, you want to be under the law. Don't you hear the law? And remember, in the Hebrew concept here, Shema, even though this wasn't written in Hebrew, but the Hebrew concept is here with the understanding of you're going to be obedient. You who want to be under the law, don't you hear the law? Don't you want to obey what the law says? So Paul speaks of the Galatian Gentiles' desire, I think right here, when he says, you who desire or want to be under the law, he's speaking to the Gentiles that are caving in to this Judaizer's proselytization doctrine. You who want to proselytize in order to be forgiven, don't you hear the law? They'd already placed faith in the Messiah. But they were caving in to this false gospel. Paul is not condemning here a Gentile's desire to be obedient to the commandments. When he says, you who want to be under the law, surely Paul doesn't mean you who want to forsake idolatry or you who want to honor your parents or you who don't want to steal and kill and commit adultery. We know that because in Acts 15, they started the Gentiles off with four necessary commandments that can all be found in the law of Moses. So we know that Paul's not saying you who want to obey the commandments. He's talking about you who want to fall up under this doctrine of the Judaizers. And believe that you're not really forgiven until you become a Judahite. Don't you hear what the law says? Don't you hear what the law says? Paul is telling them that they'll be under bondage, succumbing or submitting to the Judaizers' misuse or abuse of the law. There is a lawful use of the law. The law is good if a man uses it lawfully. There's also a misuse or an unlawful use of the law. And Paul is saying, you who want to cave into the way that the law is being taught by these influencers, don't you hear the law? Don't you listen to what the law actually says? And then he goes on to explain this big point from the lifetime of Abraham. Galatians 4, 22-23. Follow along with me here. Paul says, for it is written. Notice he's going back to Genesis. He calls Genesis the law. 
This isn't a section in Genesis where you have a list of laws. It's history. But Paul calls it the law. Don't you hear what the law says? For it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave and the other by a free woman. But the one by the slave was born according to the flesh, while the one by the free woman was born as a result of the promise. So Paul reaches back to the book of Genesis, just like he did in chapter 3, and he talks about two sons that Abraham had. If we know the law, we know that the two sons of Abraham are Ishmael and Isaac. Got some Bible students here in this church. Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael was born to Abraham through Hagar, the handmaid of Sarah. And Isaac was born to Abraham through Sarah, Abraham's wife. This plays out in Genesis chapters 15 through 21. So Yahweh made a promise to Abraham in Genesis 15 that a child would come from his loins. Abraham was worried. He didn't have any children. He said, I'm going to have to give all of my inheritance to Eleazar, my servant. Yahweh said, no, don't worry about it. I'm going to give you an inheritor, someone from your own loins. And Abraham trusted in Yahweh's promise. And he was credited as being righteous for that trust or that faith that he had towards Yahweh. And Abram, as his name was called at this time, Abram was about 80 years old at this time in Genesis 15. Right around there, roughly, give or take. And his wife Sarah was roughly around 70 years old. Abram believed Yahweh's promise. Yahweh said, your faith has credited righteousness to you. But... Sarah, or as she was called at this time, Sarai. I'm not completely, totally understanding of the the major difference between those two names. I know they're very similar in the Hebrew. But she was called Sarai at this time. She was barren. She didn't have any children. And she couldn't have any children. She says this much in Genesis 16-2 that Yahweh had prevented her. She said, Yahweh has prevented me from having children. So she tells Abram to go in unto her slave, Hagar. Hagar was a maidservant to Sarah. This was not uncommon in those days. And we're not talking about harsh slavery, whereby Hagar was beat and mocked and tortured and whipped. We're not talking about that kind of slavery. Nothing like that. Hagar was a servant to Sarai in the sense that Hagar had to do what Sarai told her to do. She was a worker for Sarai. She was compensated with food and clothing and shelter. And it was also not uncommon and it was not unlawful for the wife of a man, Sarai in this instance, to give her maidservant to her husband as a second wife in order to bear children on her behalf. Genesis 16.3 says this, So Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar her Egyptian slave, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as a wife for him. Just previous to this, Sarai said this. This is out of Sarai's own mouth. She said, perhaps I can have children by her. So it's kind of an adoption thing going on there. I can't have any children biologically on my own, so I'll take my handmaid, give her to Abram as a second wife, and I can have children by her. We see this play out in Jacob Israel when he had uh, Leah and Rachel and also their handmaids by which he bore children. It was through those four women that the sons of Israel, what we later call the tribes of Israel, were born. So we see that play out there as well. 
So Abram went into Hagar and she became pregnant right away. Normal procedure, normal biology. According to the text, there was no problems. But when Hagar became pregnant, she began to look down upon Sarai. And it tormented Sarai. She told Abram, you're responsible for my suffering. I gave you my my maidservant. And ever since Hagar found out she was pregnant, she's been looking down on me. So Abram told his wife, the free woman, Sarai, he said, here, your maidservant is in your hands. Do whatever you want with her. That's Genesis 16, verse 6. And then Sarai began to mistreat Hagar, like Hagar had previously mistreated Sarai. So Hagar ran away, but the Bible says that Yahweh comforted Hagar. And He told her, you you are to go back. He gave her some promises that was going to happen through her child. But He said, you are to go back and submit to Sarai. And Hagar did this, and she gave birth to a son, and she named him Ishmael. Genesis 16.16 tells us that Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born to him. And at 86 now, 86 years old, there was nothing said about him being too old to sire, to procreate. Nothing said about Abram in that instance. So, there we have it. Yahweh made a promise to Abram that he'd have a son to give his inheritance to, that his offspring would be numerous like the sand upon the seashore. Ishmael is Abram's son, so Ishmael is the result of the promise, right? No, he's not. The promised seed was yet to come through Sarai. But there was a problem. See, after this, about 14 years went by, and in Genesis 17, Abram was 99 years old, knocking on 100. And Sarai was 89 years old, knocking on 90. And Sarai still had not had any children. And Yahweh came to Abram at this time and He told him again, you're going to have a child and it's going to be through Sarai. And don't call her Sarai anymore. Call her Sarah, which means princess. And then Abraham, as his name was changed in Genesis 17, the Scripture tells us that he laughed so hard when he heard that that he fell over to the ground. When Yahweh told him that, he fell to the ground. And he said, can a child be born to a 100-year-old man? And can a 90-year-old Sarah give birth? Abraham then exclaimed to Yahweh, and he said, Yahweh, let Ishmael live in your presence. In other words, Abraham was saying, it's not possible for Sarah to become pregnant. I'm past the age of my vigor, so do your work through Ishmael, the son I already have. At this time, he's 13, 14 years old. History history calls him about 13, between 13 and 14 years old. But when Abraham looked at Yahweh or spoke to Yahweh and said, let Ishmael live in your presence, Yahweh said, nope, (laughs) nope. Sarah will have a son and you're going to name him Isaac. And my covenant will be with him. Now in Genesis 18, Sarah heard this news and the way that she heard it, she was inside of the tent... And Yahweh was talking in the form of a man. Yahweh was talking to Abraham, having a conversation. And Sarah was eavesdropping, listening to the conversation. And she heard what Yahweh was saying about her becoming pregnant. She's 90 years old. She's never had any children. She's been barren and she's 90 now. She's way past the age of childbearing. How many times do you hear about a 90-year-old woman having a child? You don't. You don't. But this was Yahweh's promise. Well, 
when Sarah heard it, she laughed too. And she said this, After I am shriveled up, and my Lord, speaking about Abraham, is old, will I have delight? In other words, am I going to have a baby at, at 90 and my husband is 100? Are we going to have a child? They were too old in human terms. They were past the age of childbearing in human terms. At this time in history and even to today, 100-year-old men do not go in unto 90-year-old women and have a baby. That doesn't happen. They don't produce offspring. That's not normal. That bypasses the flesh. Well, when Sarah laughed, Yahweh looked at Abraham and said, Why is she laughing? Is anything impossible for me? That sounds a lot like what Yahweh said through Gabriel to young Virgin Miriam doesn't it? Is anything impossible for me? Is it too hard for me to produce a child through a virgin woman? I made a man from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Can I not do this? Sarah denied that she had laughed. She said, I didn't laugh because she feared. Yahweh said, oh no, I heard you laugh. (laughs) You laughed. Sarah really thought Yahweh didn't know that she laughed. That made me laugh today when I read it. What we have here in this historical account is a child, Ishmael, that was born through normal fleshly means of procreation. Normal. Abram, 86. Hagar was probably a lot younger. They procreated Ishmael. But then we have another child, Isaac, that was born not by normal means. You say, well, Abram, Abraham still had to go in unto Sarah to procreate. Yes, but that had been happening for years and years and years. Nothing had ever happened. By this time, it was not possible in the human realm. Yahweh stepped in and caused a miraculous birth to take place. Isaac was a miracle child. Isaac was a promised seed. Isaac didn't come by normal means, by normal biology, by normal procedure. Yahweh stepped in and made that happen, made that child be be conceived and then born. One son was born according to the flesh, and the other son was born according to the promise. And this is Paul's point in Galatians 4. Paul is not saying Judahite bad, Gentile good, Hebraism bad, Christianity good. That's not what Paul is saying. And I know I'm going against what most Bible commentators teach, but I don't think that's what Paul is saying. Paul is telling us that the two women and the two children represent two types of people. One people who rely on the flesh and the other people who trust in the promise. The Judaizers had convinced some of the Gentiles that salvation rested in the flesh and getting them circumcised and becoming Judahites and that made sense to the natural fleshly mind. It made sense. When I say flesh, I'm not talking about sinful. I'm just talking about of the flesh. Of the flesh. Paul's Gospel taught that the Gentiles obtained salvation and status as children of Abraham based upon their trust in Yahweh's Gospel promise. So you had this, this heathen, you had this Gentile that was born outside of the covenant, and they came and they had to make a decision. Am I saved? Am I forgiven? Am I justified by my faith in the gospel promise that Yahweh made to Abraham, that in your seed all the families of the earth will be blessed? Or do I have to also submit to the works of the flesh that the Judaizers are trying to place on me in order for me to really be forgiven of my sins? One made sense. Let me go through a, a, a little process and, and I'll do something. I'll do something small even. And I'll be forgiven because of something that I, I did. The other one was just, I'm just standing here. I'm just trusting. I'm just having faith in your promise. 
One made sense to the natural man. One only makes sense (laughs) to the man who's born of the Spirit. To the spiritual person. So the contrasting question in Galatians 4 is, how does one obtain salvation? By becoming a Judahite? Or by trusting in Yahweh's promise? By trusting in the flesh? Or by trusting in the promise, in the Spirit? See, both Abraham and Sarah attempted to bypass the promise that Yahweh had made by looking to the flesh. Sarah thought, I'm too old. Maybe I can have a child by my handmaid. Take Hagar. She bypassed the promise that Yahweh had made to Abraham and her and tried to receive the child through the flesh instead of just trusting. Now later she trusted. Abram trusted. But there was, a, there was a weak moment of faith there where they said, this isn't going to happen through me and you, so let's use the handmaid. I need a child. This is the only way to have one, through the flesh. And Yahweh came back and said, no, I'm going to give you a child, Sarah, and it's not going to come by natural means. I'm going to perform a miracle on your body and on Abraham's body. You're going to have Isaac, the promised seed. So brothers and sisters, this lets us know that your salvation is a gift that is given just like Isaac was a gift that was given to Abraham and Sarah. It is not based upon who you are or what you do. It is not based upon you being an Israelite or a Jew. If you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that you were a direct descendant of, let's say, Levi or Judah, it would not make one bit of a difference when it came to your salvation or your forgiveness of sins. Salvation is based upon the promise and not upon your flesh or a fleshly act. And just as Abraham and Sarah laughed at what Yahweh said He was going to do, so also the Judaizers laughed at the Gentiles who said they were forgiven because they trusted in Yahweh's promised Messiah. And Paul was telling the Gentiles, those who were born outside of the covenant, that they were the true seed of Abraham by faith. And that the Judaizers and those Gentiles who submitted to the false gospel were actually showing themselves to be of Hagar, rather than of Sarah. Get this. I do not mean that they were of Hagar physically. Paul is saying you're of Hagar spiritually. Paul is telling them spiritually is what matters. And because you're seeking salvation by the flesh, you're only proving that you're a child of the the bondwoman and not of the free woman. Anyone trusting in their flesh for salvation is of Hagar But anyone trusting in Yahweh's promise is of Sarah. So then, my brothers and sisters, it is not the children of the flesh that are counted as seed, but it is the children of the promise. Now there's a lot more to to get into, and I will get into this in the next lesson. I don't know how far I'll get, but we'll continue in Galatians chapter 4. I hope that this has blessed you and I hope you've learned some things. Praise Yahweh.